give to you in this moment is to lean in. Lean your heart and lean your mind into truth that never changes. There's a phrase that we may sometimes hear to say today that says, facts don't care about your feelings. It's a little crass, but there's some deep resonating truth in that. What we think and what we feel is so dependent upon our circumstances. And it's oftentimes so defined by these transient realities that come and go. But this word is secure and it is safe and it is true and it is enduring. So lean in to everything that God has said to you in it. So what has he said? And in a moment like this, what can we embrace and what can we soak in? What can we meditate on? That idea from the book of Psalms literally means to mumble. To meditate means to mumble. It means to to repeat over and over again. It's to play through these ideas in our minds and in our hearts, calling us back to them over and over and over again. So what is it that we need to meditate on and in? What is it that we need to lean into? And I would say, number one, without any doubt or question, is the reality of God's presence through his spirit that now, as followers of Jesus, dwells in us. God uses the Spirit to do so many things, right? Acts 1 tells us that he is the the power for mission. The word there is dunamis. It means dynamite. It's where we get our concept of dynamite. There's explosive power and potential in the Spirit of God that lives in us, that calls us into this mission to make disciples of all the nations of the earth. This Spirit, it says, is our partner in prayer. It says when there is, is a moment that so empties us out, that we have no concept or clue, no no verbiage that can express the depth of pain and hurt. It says the Holy Spirit steps in for us and he begins to pray, not with us, he begins to pray for us on our behalf. I don't don't live too far from Stanford and the WWE building, the wrestling building is there. As a kid, man, I loved watching that on Saturdays. I loved going to a few of the matches. There was always that tag team kind of, you know, experience or two guys against two guys. And there would always come that inevitable moment when the guy that was in the ring had gotten beat up and he was exhausted and tired and he was about to get pinned. And his partner would be over there shaking the rope going, just get over here, just get over here. And he would kind of lean, you know, it's so dramatic. He would kind of lean, you know, and he'd, he'd barely get his fingertips over there and his partner would reach through the ropes and he would come in fresh and hot. And he would just destroy the other team. That is the image we get from that promise that the Holy Spirit is our partner in prayer, that when there are no words for us, when we are flailing and feeling faint, that he steps in and says, I got this. And he prays on our behalf. It says with words that are too deep even, with groanings that are too deep even for words. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is our guide that leads us into truth. It says he reminds us of what we've already heard and he interprets and applies that for us and then becomes that power to help us live that out. These are all beautiful realities. But none of them compel my heart and my spirit as much as this one. This is Jesus' description of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, nevertheless, he said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, pause for a second. Think about the. uh, Think about the absurdity of that statement to the human heart and mind. Jesus physically there standing amongst his disciples and saying, hey, listen, there's going to come a moment when it is better for you if I am not here. Because here's the reality. As long as I'm here, the Father's not going to give the Spirit to you in the same way that he is in the future. That the Spirit was there. He was working, right? He's always been there. He's always working. But he was anointed on some of us. But he was not living in all of us as followers of Jesus. But Jesus says, no, no, no. There's a moment that's coming when the Spirit of God is going to infuse each and every one of you. And instead of just a few limited number of people being able to be with me, physically having to be present in the room with me, to hear from me, to be comforted in me, to be taught by me, to be challenged and encouraged and nourished spiritually by me, that is going to become available to every one of you. And so it's better for you. It is to your advantage for me to go away. Because if I don't, the helper won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. That word helper here is interesting. Some some of your translations, if you're reading, this may come across, it may say the comforter. It's a Greek word. It's a combination Greek word. It's parakletos, and it literally means to call to one's aid. It is to be in a place where you are so needy, where you recognize that you are so incapable in and of yourself, in and of your own strength, in and of your own resources, in and of your own wisdom, that you need help. And it is for the reality of the presence of God to literally be brought into your existence, to become this great aid for you as you make this journey through life. Years ago, I had a singles pastor that used to say, there's a difference between people that are for you and people that are with you. We all need people that are for us, but what we desperately crave is people that are with us. People that are for you will cheer for you from the stands. People that are with you will get down in the muck and the mire and walk through the hardships of life alongside you. And what we have in the Spirit of God is the ultimate I am with you presence. This one who has been called alongside us, who now lives in us, and who has assured us we will never walk one step of this life alone. Lean, lean in to that presence. When you are driving your car on the way out of here. That presence will be just as much with you as it is in this building. When you find yourself at work and your mind begins to drift and you begin to wrestle with what you're thinking and feeling, that presence will be just as much with you as it is in this moment. He is not contained within buildings made of brick and mortar. You have become the house of God. And that presence is with you. Lean into that. Lean into the eternal promises of God. Lean into the assurances that he has given us. That become that anchor for us. 
one of those promises is this. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. To forsake is imagery of being face to face, only to have one party turn away. It is to reject. It is to abandon. It's what Jesus described on the cross in that ultimate act of sacrifice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in that moment? The Bible says that as God heaped the sins of the world onto his son, that the father turned his face away from his own kid. God has done that to Christ, so he will never have to do that to you and I. This promise to never leave and never forsake, it's an interesting one in Hebrews 13. The writer says this, he says, be content with what you have, right? As soon as he says that, where do our minds go? It goes to this, right? I have six kids. There's not much in there, all right? <laughs> when we do premarital counseling, we always do the money and the parenting session together because I'm like, once you have one, you don't have much of the other, but we still ought to talk about it, right? It's just how it goes. But this is where our hearts and our minds go. Be content with what you have. And so we think about what we drive. We think about where we live, what we wear. We think about the vacations we're able to take. Or we think about the schools we're able to send our kids to. And none of that is what he is referring to. He says, be content with what you have. Why? Because I've given you me. I've put that spirit we just talked about inside of you. And he is more than enough for you. Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus said this. He said, listen, if you being evil... As fathers, that's a humbling thing. If you being evil as fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will I give the Spirit to those that I love? This is his greatest gift, and it is one that is never going away. Lean into that promise that you will never be forsaken. I think there's... A million more promises, but there's a few more that we've included. Guys, go ahead. Lean into this promise from Romans 8, that all things work together for good, for those that love God, and for those who are called according to his purpose. Hear me say this loud and clear. It does not say that everything we walk through is good. Brokenness, evil, suffering, sorrow, sin. It is rampant in this world. And it is a burden on our hearts. But what we are proclaiming, what we are professing, and what we are embracing in this kind of worldview is a God who is so sovereign, who is so providential, A God who has written all of our days before one of them has come to pass. A God who says that his purposes can never ultimately be thwarted. A God who is so big that he is weaving these individual strands of our experiences, every moment of our life, into a beautiful tapestry. The ones that are good and the ones that we want to remember and the moments that we just wish would go away. And God is able to take all of those and in the end to turn them into something good. This is an audacious claim. This is one of those moments where you can't look at Christianity and just say, hey, 
this kind of is some warm moral platitudes that kind of give us a better way to kind of walk through life. This is an enduring promise that cuts through the malaise and simply says, you either, either believe in a God who is big and sovereign and providential, who spoke the universe into existence, who holds it together by the word of his power, and who is one day going to remake it all, and who has the ability to weave every moment into this grand design and story that was written before the beginning of time, or you don't. But if you believe in Jesus, this is part of what you believe. And there's deep hope in that. Now, I will tell you, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know how that becomes true in your life individually and for you as a community of faith. But I do know that it is true. And it may take some time. And it is going to take some processing. And your leaders are here to walk you through that. And to give you the resources, both in print and in some of these books that they're giving you, to provide access to counselors and to give you the chance to have conversations with them as you wrestle with this. But I know if you're patient, and I know if you trust, you will see this become true. For you. Perhaps the ultimate promise that gives us hope is this. This life is not all that we have. In fact, in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes and says, I am convinced that it is not even worth comparing the suffering and the sorrow of this temporary existence with the eternal blessings that are to come. Not even worth comparing. The image is a scale. He said it's not even worth putting both of these things on the same scale because one so outweighs the other. It's a foolish waste of time to even try and compare the two. Life hurts, and this journey is hard. To the point that the Apostle Paul himself even said, I despaired unto death. Fears within, man, suffering persecution from without. None of that, none of that holds a candle to the promise of what comes next. Jesus said, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks to the Son, that means to have faith, everyone who believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on that last day. The hope of the resurrection and the promise of eternity That's what speaks meaning into the momentary. This truth is so embedded in the central core of this faith that in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul said this, if there is no resurrection, then you are still dead in your sins. And we among all people should be most pitied. I won't be with you on Easter, so I'm going to give you my Easter sermon. You ready? If the resurrection isn't true for Jesus, then it isn't true for you and me. And if it isn't real, then this is a ginormous waste of time. Leave. Walk out. Go play golf. 
go get in that river out there and do some trout fishing like I wanted to do as I drove in this morning. Go to the ball field. Do something else. Because this is a farce. If the resurrection is a true. But if it is, this is the only thing that makes sense. doesn't make it easy, but it is the only thing that makes sense. And this is the hope that speaks meaning into every moment. This is the hope that gives us endurance to continue. Because we know this is not all that we have. This is a prelude. I tell my kids, this life, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, my grandmother just turned 100. It's a long life. You know what? It's a prelude. It's a movie commercial, right? It's the trailer. The real show's still coming. Anchor yourselves in that. And that promise of forever will give you hope and endurance for today. So what do we do between now and then? And this is the last thing I want to encourage you with, and that is this. Don't just lean into his presence. Don't just lean into his promises. But lean into his people. I want you to do a supremely awkward thing. I want you to turn around and look through the room. It's okay. I know this is weird, like being in an elevator. You're never supposed to turn around, right? Can I tell you this? These are the people that are going to help you walk through this. They're hurting, they're struggling, they're confused, and they have questions just like you. And though God is our ultimate source of comfort, the Bible says that he has called us into relationship with himself and through that into relationship with one another. That he has built us together. The image the Apostle Paul gives us is that of a body, an interconnected, interdependent community of believers that are desperately in need of one another. And one of the ways that God accomplishes his purposes for us and displays his power to us is through the people he has put around us. We looked at the opening scripture, right? The Holy Spirit is the the helper, the comforter, depending on your translation. Do you know how God provides the comfort of the Spirit to us? It's not necessarily and only in moments of isolation when we are on our knees in a private moment praying, but it is in the community. It is in the council. It is in the relationship of one another. I love the Apostle Paul's writing. I love the repetitious nature of what he says. And I love the fact that he writes like eight page long run on sentences too. It's great. (laughs) And we see all of that in this phrase. I'm going to do something that teachers will tell you never do, and that is turn your back to the audience. But I want this to be a collective moment for us, okay? This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church, to the people, to the community at Corinth, not to the building, not to the budgets, not to the programs, but to the people, the authentic community of faith. And he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who is the Father of mercies, mercy that we need, not only for salvation, but for sanctification, not only for that initial transformation, but for the endurance to continue through the hardships of this life, the Father of mercies, and check this out, the God of all comfort. He is the source, not us. He's the genesis of everything that our souls long for and need. That's why the author there in Psalm 42, in our very first scripture at the beginning of the worship, said, my soul thirsts after God. You guys remember that? Maybe I don't know if it's Keith Getty. Who sang it in the 70s and 80s that they took this scripture as the deer pants for water? You know, so my soul, I'm not going to sing because you don't want me to do that. But you may remember that song. Some of you that are older like me remember that song, right? As the deer. Okay, that's as far as I'm going. Here's the deal. That song is not at all indicative of the emotion of that passage. That's a very warm, pleasant, kind of give you the fuzzies. As the that is not what that passage was. This is somebody in the depths of life's dark moments of the soul that is crying out, that is saying as a deer finds itself in the heat of the summer, parched and desperate for some way for that thirst to be satiated. That's where my soul finds itself. That's what I cry out for. That's when I long for him. This is the God of mercies, and this is the God of all comfort. He himself is the source of the comfort that you and I desperately, desperately are crying out for and clawing after today. But how does he give that? Bless me, the Lord Jesus, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies, and He's the God of all comfort. And then check this out: Who comforts us in all of our affliction, regardless of the nature of our suffering and our sorrow, our hardship and our difficulty? He is the God of mercy, and He is the God of comfort, giving us what we don't deserve, coming alongside of us, binding up our wounds, putting salve on our open cuts, and saying, "I will sustain you." Through this, He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. But it's not just with us. This isn't true about every spiritual hope and promise. It never ends with us. It begins with Him. It comes to us, but it's given through us into the lives of others. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. I don't have to have walked through the pain and the suffering that you individually are experiencing in order to be a functional member of the body of Christ and come alongside you and comfort you. Because God has comforted me uniquely in my own circumstances, uniquely in my own struggles. I have now been given the assurance, the hope, the promise, and the experience that gives me the ability through the power of the Spirit that is in me that is the great comforter to come alongside you and to comfort you in any affliction, in any sorrow that you may be enduring. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction in order that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. How? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. By God. Anybody else notice the repetition that's kind of in this? When I quote this for people and they're not familiar with it, I promise you they think I'm making it up. They're like, there's no way it says comfort that many times. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of mercy. He is the God of all comfort, who has comforted us in all of our affliction in order that we may be able to comfort others in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have received from him. If in this moment you withdraw from the community of faith, if you isolate yourself, you are not cutting yourself off from God, but you are cutting yourself off from the delivery mechanism and means of God. Yes, there are ways in which God will individually deal with you and supply you with what you need, but one of the greatest ways that he accomplishes his purpose in us is through us. And you will desperately need the comfort that you can offer to each other in this moment. Darkness and death thrive in isolation. Hope and life thrive in community. This is where he's intended for you to find community. So as much as it hurts and as hard as it is, do not walk through this moment by yourself. Lean into the fellowship, the encouragement, and the comfort of one another. And in that, collective experience with his spirit through his people. You will sense a unique, calming, preserving, and enduring presence of God. Let me pray. Father, these are weighty, heavy, conversations to have. Moments like this are never ones that we anticipate. They're never ones that we assume we will ever have to endure. And yet in a fallen, broken world, the truth is here we are. With all of our hurt, with all of our pain, with all of our confusion, with all of our disappointment, perhaps with our disillusionment, here we sit. Maybe feeling like Job, here we suffer. But you have not stopped being God. You have not relinquished your throne. You have not given up your power. You have not turned your head away. You have not forgot about us. You have not become distracted. You have not become any less sovereign or in control. And though our hearts struggle to reconcile the beautiful goodness that we see in all of these promises with the pain and the sorrow that we sense around our hearts, We know that you've called us to live, to breathe in truths that are greater than the moment, that are greater than our thoughts, our fears, our feelings. So comfort us today. Comfort us with your presence. 
God, comfort us with the enduring nature of your promises. And God, comfort us through one another. And for any of those that may be watching online, God, for any that may be in this room who don't have this hope, who don't have these promises, who don't know this comfort because they do not yet know you, God, today, may today become a moment of faith for them. Whatever hope they have put in themselves and anything or anyone else, God, may it dissipate and dissolve today. May they recognize the absolute bankruptcy of their own souls their inability to appease and please you on their own. And they put, may they put all of their trust and all of their rest in your son who lived the life of absolute perfection that none of us are ever capable of living, who died a spiritual death on that cross in such a way as to take the punishment and the pain and the penalty for our sin and who was resurrected and given new life in order to give us the great promise that this life is not all that we have, and that through him we can spend an eternity in fellowship with you. Yeah, may that moment of faith become real to someone even today. And may that faith be the great anchor of our souls that allows us to endure this moment until we would step into that eternity. For your name's sake, for your glory, for the good of your people, and for the fame of your Son, we ask these things in his name. Amen.